Do you remember the first technical problem we had? Wasn't it? Um, uh, <laughs> do you? Because I don't. Yeah, it was. Uh, wasn't somebody not wearing headphones or something? It was just coming through the speakers. No, that never happened. Let's let's change the subject. Was that Rob? It no, was Rob. It was. Yeah. It was Mr. Radio Production. Oh shush. Right, so um, <laughs> what point were we up to again? We were talking about um, we were talking about Sarah Palmer, and we were Sarah talking about Face Palmer. We were talking about what are we supposed to glean from how this character has evolved in the last couple of times that we've seen her. <laughs> And I was saying, and I was saying, why is Sarah doing the smashing the picture? Is, she, is it because she's angry because she's Jowaday? Um And mm-hmm. I was saying that I, I basically dis, dislike the ambiguity around this. And what are we supposed to think of Sarah now? Because in a way, it totally retcons. Like if you, you know, it, it's going to change the way you look at Sarah if you go back and look at the original series now. And I, I sort of, I dislike the 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 way this ambiguity has sort of um, cast this shadow over her character because you know there was a f- incredible performance there and a, and a sort of deep sincerity in um, with regards to her the horror the, uh, the, her loss of her daughter and her sorrow and pain and, and anguish and torture that we got in the yeah. original series and I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to take home from 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 what happened in the return. I have numerous questions about this. Um, the first question is just a temporal one, um, because this um, right now Laura's body has vanished from the banks of the lake. So has time now changed? Because from the scene with Sarah um, flipping out and stabbing Laura's photograph with the broken bottle, it would seem that time has not changed because all those things are still there. Um, another question um, that is raised is that, is Sarah Jude, 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 or is she... That, that's that's a supposition, that's an implication, but it's not really a fact. Um, we ha, you know, we, we, That hasn't really landed as a definite thing, that she is Jawadee. some kind of avatar. Yeah. Well, I think, I think if you want facts, you've tuned into the wrong show. Um, I, I, I want some I want some piece of information so I can feel or think something about what I'm seeing. That's all yeah, I need. Well, what do you think, Jay? Uh, the man who needs no facts. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think when we we first saw uh, the the freaky side to Sarah Palmer, which was in that bar in presumably Twin Peaks, mm. where she opens her face up and we see all kinds of stuff and we do see the experiment stroke the mother stroke judy if those are in fact all the same thing uh inside her so i think for me i i'm personally in no doubt that she is a manifestation of judy and how long has she been then becomes well well this is this is the thing it's like has she been continually uh, Judy, or is this a more yeah. recent thing? Personally, I lean towards a more recent. Yeah, because thing that's my that's my problem with it. Is if you're saying that, I mean, basically, this Jowaday creature 
is uh, essentially yeah. the, the source let, of all let's evil. Just, let's just say yeah. Judy. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> because I think uh, Mr. C created the, the glass box in New York City to not maybe so much to trap um, Coop, but to actually bring Judy into, into this mm. world uh, so that he could, for reasons unknown, meet up with Judy, and I think he has been on this on this path to end up at the the Palmer's residence to finally meet up with Judy. What the results of that, who knows? And I'm not even 100% convinced that 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 is the journey that he was on. I'm just leaning in that in that direction. At that point, I think when Judy was brought into the world, uh, I think that's that's the point where. Sarah became the vessel, uh, yeah. the host. Yeah, uh, for, for Judy. I, d- I don't think she has been uh, Judy this entire time. Which and, and so I don't think it negates anything that that uh, has happened to her previously. But I think because she's in a very negative place, uh, I think that has al- allowed Judy to to enter her. And because Sarah is the mother of Laura Palmer. And um, Judy is, you know, in inverted commas, the mother as well. Perhaps that sort of sort of connection. I must say, I feel quite strongly that perhaps this, that all this is related to the frog moth, and and that Sarah Palmer may well have been mm. that that girl. And yeah. that, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an equally valid and interpretation. That, um, and that Judy. Uh, began life as a as a non-corporeal as a physical entity um, in the form mm-hmm. of that frog moth inside Sarah Palmer. But what I really don't like is the idea that you know is that Sarah Palmer throughout all of this saga has been the source of all evil. <laughs> you know, um, that's the sort of retcon that I, I really dislike the the implication of. Yeah, but I, at, at the moment because. The, um this this last episode or, or last pair of episodes of, of Twin Peaks has really really avoided dotting the I's and crossing the T's in terms of facts all we're left with is supposition and if you don't like that particular interpretation you can interpret it a completely different way and that is just as valid as anybody else's interpretation yeah I, I'm just failing to find a way to interpret it that is interesting that's, that's, that's my problem that's it um, yeah. intellectually it's not interesting emotionally it's unengaged it's just like it's just in, stuff. emotionally it's a total turn off yeah yeah and it's not clever or anything it's, it's just things happening you know mm. um, I I if all the you know if, if, if all the weird trippy stuff were couched in uh, were, were in a show where the kind of the traditional narrative stuff had been handled brilliantly, I'd feel I was in safe. I'd feel I was uh, I was in a plane with a pilot who knew what they were doing. But um, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. I don't trust the makers of this to uh, be not wasting my time. Um, I don't know what it means, and it. I don't. Even I have no interpretations of what it means because no, there's, there's nothing interesting about it. Um, yeah, I will say that if we not to focus too hard on that on that sequence with Laura 
with um, with Sarah Palmer, <clears throat> but it just to take this um, this sequence as a whole with Laura being um, essentially saved and then being lost again. Um, I think that that moment, that walk through the woods, that kind of looping back with Firewalk with me was the first time I had felt um, transformed or. Or that, like, my environment yes. had been transformed yeah. around me and I'd been carried away somehow. Like, you know, um, that's the first time I felt like that since the first, since since the back of the old days, the original series. See, that stuff, I, that stuff I, I did like in this episode. And I'm, I'm trying to look at this episode in isolation as an exercise. I can't remember if we actually, if we've actually talked about, or if we've, in, in our sort of recap, if we've, if we actually pointed out that, you know, Cooper looks back and finds that she's not holding his hand and he's not there anymore. I can't remember if we said that, but... Well, my interpretation of that is that uh, Judy, by smashing the picture, ah. caused Laura to disappear. Uh, okay, because I, I actually can't remember the sequence of events if you see her smashing the picture and then Laura's gone. Is that is that how it works? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, that makes, she's, she stabbed... That, that makes yeah. sense, yeah. We go from the scene of um, Sarah stabbing the picture, but then we cut to Cooper Laura... Um, going through the woods, like in a dream, he leads her the way you might do in a dream um, through the woods to the White Lodge, and that was lyrical. And that yeah. would, see, that was wonderful. It there was. is stuff yeah. here I recognise as Peaks. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not being a Debbie Downer. There is some stuff here that is legitimately great. Yeah. No, it just gave me that feeling. I can't. I don't know how to best describe it, but it's almost like somebody picked up the living room that I'm sitting in or the house even and just carried it off around the solar system for for a, a short time and, and put it back again um but there's this strange even though i had no idea what was going on there's this sort of a feeling of kind of disorientation uh that's actually very pleasurable um and twin peaks did that back in the day and this moment for me it did it again but not you know it hasn't done it much um but that we, and it was it was really really nice to be back in that place again, and and when Cooper stares into the trees, you know, after he loses Laura, and then he stares out into the trees, and he's just watching, and there's just this his POV on the, on the on into the wood. <laughs> I think that's the first mm-hmm. time I've actually been scared in the same way that I would, I'd been scared with the original series um, with Bob and the spirits and the woods and the owls and all that stuff. Um, it, it was that that trepidation of what was going to happen, what was going to come out of those woods. As it happened, nothing did. But Well, Julie Cruz came out of the woods. Well, she did, yeah. yeah. And that, that in itself is, is, is pretty scary. I think I, I love that bit when when Laura does disappear. Um, the sound design to me, it, I, it, I watched it twice. It, it it wasn't the sound of owls, I don't think, but it evoked the sounds of owls flapping to me. Um, but also, um, for the first time since Coop has returned, um, he's run out of plan, and therefore, for the first time, it, for me, yeah. when he loses Laura, it yeah, felt true, like yeah. Coop. It yeah. felt like Coop again. Yeah, I think I think probably that sense of kind of returning, of feeling home again, was a lot to do with that, with with having Coop back. Oh, having Coop back again and having him 
you know, be a man with a plan and then suddenly without a plan. And, you know, it just felt we were on the, the, the right road somehow. Interesting as well, talking about the sound design in that in that woods thing, was that um, as Laura's hand leaves Coop's hand, we, we get um, a kind of like weird, kind of like crackling sound. Oh, an electricity sound. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which I think was more like the um, when uh, the fireman at the very, very beginning of episode one uh, told uh, Coop to listen, and there was that kind of like crackling sound, like vinyl crackling. All right. Listen to the sounds. Is this in Arasma? It is. It was. It was that that kind of oh, okay. that kind of sound. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wasn't sure as well whether it it was also uh, the sound of the frog moth as well. I need to go back and and listen to it uh, some more to be definitive. But um, yeah, it was it was it was more than the electricity sound. It it, it was either that vinyl crackling sound or the the frog moth In- sound. Interesting as well that the Julie Cruz. Um, uh, track that comes in immediately after that, uh, which is the, the world spins. Um, it's also the track that's used in the episode um, after Maddie is killed in uh, in the in episode fourteen of the f- of the second series. Is that the one where everyone starts crying? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it, in a way, that sort of signals that it has happened again. It is happening again. It is happening again. Yeah, and again, I will say this was one of the best end credits as well. This one worked. This oh, Return to the Roadhouse yeah. Yeah, yeah. was brilliant. I mean, yeah. in, I mean, they they can work in know. a way. Given given what we got in the next episode, you you could have ended the series here. I think. I think the next episode has a sort of statement to make, but um, but. This would have been a, a perfectly, um, a perfectly good ending, I think. Yeah, a lot of people on Reddit have, have yeah. mentioned that and said, "Yeah, you could have, you could have ended it here, and uh, it would have been, you know, it would have been fine. Would have been a, a different, a different kind of kind of ending." But, but I mean, I'm glad that the episode 18 was there. Actually, I think it did something. I think it gave it a, a, a much more sort of. I think this would have been a little bit more of a sort of fan servicey um, uh, ending, where this, where where episode eighteen was truly a sort of David Lynch ending. Um, but we'll go into that as we go. Well, I had two different feelings about part seventeen and part eighteen. I thought part seventeen was serviceable, but not fantastic. And I was much more sold on on part eighteen. Yeah, I don't see the need really to sort of differentiate between the two. They seem very much sort of um, uh, they seem sort of two phrases of the same sentence. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. Fine. I, I always find it hard um, when we cover two episodes at once to either, yes, that decision to treat them as one or treat them as two. Um, but also I'm finding it very hard to look at these without the context of them being the end to an 18-part TV series. So I'm, I'm actually finding it quite hard to uh, decide on my angle of approach for talking about these. Do you want, to, do you want some time? <laughs> no, that's fine. Well, yeah, um, no, I'll just I'll just do it moment by moment and see what comes out, and uh, hopefully it won't be too moany. Well, <laughs> no promises. Carrying on with part eighteen, which opens with Mister C in the red room on fire, which I loved. Yeah, I love that too. It's incredible image. Yeah. But it was also left slightly ambiguous for me as to whether this was really the end of Mr. C. Yeah, he's on fire, but what what does that mean in the context of the Red Room? Um, punishment, I guess, torture, um, failure. But um, he he didn't look like he was, you know, his expression was quite... Um, you know, expressionless, yeah, but, um, I should say. It didn't, it didn't feel like he was being punished. He was I mean, just... he's, a, he, he's a doppelganger. He's not a tulpa. So he's... Yeah, essentially, he's still around. He's just back in the Red Room. Yeah. So... But I, I like that ambiguity. I, I liked, you know, that the the door was slightly ajar for for Mr. C. Oh, I don't know if the jar is the I don't know if the door is ajar for any of this stuff but Oh uh, that's that that's yeah. the other problem I've got with yeah. discussing this and, and, and trying to bridge it well, critically is because for me four. the door well the I feel the door has been left so wide open for season 4 there are so many things I have to say about this that could be answered answered with yet mm. wait till season 4 to hand, mm-hmm. hand, I've got a lot of criticisms that could be very easily hand waved. With I don't think, I mean, I don't four. think there's any intention on the part of uh, of, of Lynch and Frost to to make a fourth, uh, make another season. Well, okay. Well, in that case, um, I'll for, for me personally, just so you, so you guys know, I'm going to. In that case, I'll, let's say then that there will not be a season four. So let's just discuss this on discuss this on its own merits. Yeah, my personal feeling as well is that uh, this is how Lynch wanted to end it. And um, I think you you could look at uh, the season as a whole and say, well, yeah, they've left loads of unanswered questions for a season four. But my interpretation of that is that on the one hand, yeah, it feels like a massive waste of time to have so many storylines that are, are left unresolved. But on the other hand, I think a lot of the stuff that was happening in Twin Peaks is to really say that all the kind of crap and craziness and evil and weirdness that was happening to the previous generation of Twin Peaks folks is now happening to this second generation you know it's like it's nothing nothing has ended it's all still happening and um lynch has spoken about his his love of twin peaks as in this you know this kind of uh this crazy place and i think 
part of that is is having all of these kind of like strange unexplained events that are, that are taking place which are, you you can't tie up in a in a little bow and say here you go this this plot strand was resolved and this plot strand was resolved because i think, I think it goes back to that yeah. you know jeffrey's i think there's a difference between tying up plot strands with a neat little bow and actually kind of making sort of substantial use of what you establish um mm. yeah because amanda seyfried where did she go if the, if the, if this is it yeah. that's that was her yeah they um, ran out of money can... <laughs> yeah so um, in, that, in that case, this new generation has been well. So what? We barely met them, and most yeah. of them are dead. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. defending it because I, <laughs> I, I personally don't don't think it was the right thing to do. You know, as as all of us have, as we've gone through this, we've said there were too, too many, many episodes, there were too many characters. Too, well, yeah, too many episodes, and I think if you were to take uh, an axe to this and. You know, as as the the TV execs wanted, you know, to condense this Do we know down. That? Uh, yeah, I, well, yeah, because I, th- I th- originally right. they were going to have right. like nine Would've episodes or something like that, and and yeah, and uh, Lynch wanted to have you know the, this eighteen episode arc, and I think it was way too long, and Lynch had to kind of pad it out a little bit, and it felt padded. You know, it's like. They they've they maybe have shot like sixteen episodes worth of material, and they've had to kind of like insert bits. I think what you're talking about is filler or killer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Funny thing is, I you know, although I did not really enjoy the experience of watching these final two episodes, perhaps if the preceding sixteen episodes had been different these two same episodes could have been a satisfying conclusion. It's like I said at the beginning, um, just, just, uh, there's so much about, you know, these uh, two episodes to them, in, in, unto themselves, were perfectly fine and enjoyable slices of, of, of lynch pie. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. For me, for the most part. Um, but given so much of what we'd endured in order to get here, and so much of what was left out, um, uh, of the whole equation by the time we'd finished these last two episodes it, it, it you know it cast a shadow over 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 those two those last two episodes for me to the point that I'm left mm. wondering about I mean, what it was that I just consumed you know <laughs> yeah I mean as we still are on Mr. C um, it would have been nice if if Coop and Mr. C had met and actually had a yeah. scene yeah yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But... Well, I mean, they they kind of did where Miss uh, where Cooper slipped a ring onto Mister. But he was unconscious hand. and dead by then, but wasn't he? I know what you're saying, yeah. Rob. It's yeah, it's not yeah. a it's not a substantial interaction. It's not. It's, there's no conflict no. there. Yeah. He's already yeah. out for the count. Not you that know? we were ever promised anything, but I think everyone in so, their minds imagined that there would be some sort of uh, confrontation between these two. Yeah. Definitely, you can you can put that in the uh, missed opportunities column for sure. And again, uh, talking about missed opportunities, uh, it it felt really really odd to me. And one of the reasons why Part Seventeen was, I would describe as as serviceable, was the fact that Miss you know uh, Cooper has been missing for twenty five years. He turns up in Twin Peaks for like five minutes. 
and goes, hi everyone, I hope sometime I'll meet you all again. I'm off. <laughs> it's like... Dude, you've been back for five minutes. Well, I and think you're already yeah, I th- off in, again. In, in terms of this, in terms of the way that this is, this the context of all this is this kind of infinite time loop, and and this is part of uh, this. This is happening, yes, but it's also um, part of his dream that he had in 1989. And I think this is his dream self saying, "I hope to see you all again," which of course he does some months later. You know, um, so I think it works like that, at least for me. For me, I kind of thought, well, it, it's straight. I, I feel pity for Cooper that this is his life, but it's it's actually very similar to um, Philip yeah. Jeffries in yeah, Firewalk he, with yeah, me. Yeah, that he pops in, pops mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You know, it, this, yeah, this is it's, it's the tragedy of people who deal with and the, bl- the, the blue rose cases. Um, so Co- yeah. occupational hazard. Yeah, so Coop is kind of doomed. Yeah, yeah. So Coop is kind of doomed to this now, and I feel great pity for him that this is his fate it's not what I would have wanted for the guy because I loved him you know I'd have wanted him happy but he it's, unless you know well no this is it there's no season four this is it it just seems that Dale Cooper is doomed to this weird twilight interdimensional hell basically yeah limbo purgatory yeah 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 Mike creates uh, another Dougie Jones from the seed and the bit of bit of hair. Yes, that was given to him by Cooper on on him uh, coming out of the coma. Electricity. And we speculated that this might be what what he would do. He, you know, Cooper wouldn't go back. He would send uh, a new Dougie Jones. And we were right. Uh, and that that whole and that whole plot thing was resolved in about thirty seconds. That was long enough for me. <laughs> I did wonder why is Dougie still sound? Why why does he now sound still a bit backwards? You know, because he's uh, she's oh you're home home he says. Like like some sort of weird elongated suit wearing ET. Does I mean it it was it was Dale Cooper's hair, but does he wear product? Did that kind of contaminate the sample, perhaps, or something? <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a bit of brill cream in there, and that's my, what's my notes. Doing it. There were new coop, Dougie, oh, bullshit, lazy, yawn, fuck off, plot convenience. That was my note. Rob, tell us how you really feel. That uh, I just kind of thought, yeah, okay. I thought I, I, I genuinely thought um, when Coop in episode seventeen says, "I need another seed," I actually thought there's urgency there. He needs to defeat evil or something. But no, he's just. I need to wrap that whole thing up. It just, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I on on the one hand, I can't take it on faith that all the kind of the vague yeah. arty lynchy stuff 
um, is Artie crazy. always said the word. He said the, he is, said the, the heathen cr- word. I know I did. I know I did. But it's been has been created by someone who knows what he's doing when this stuff is bollocks. Part of me wonders whether stuff like this, all this kind of like resolution stuff, uh, comes from Mark Frost rather than... Uh, he's very capable. The scapegoat, yeah. He's yeah, very capable yeah. of this. Uh, not, not that Lynch is are they, are they being arch? Of, of am I, am I kind of taking it? Am I getting affronted by it when they're kind of being? Are they trying to be ironic? Are they being ironic or kind of? Well, here's here's my take on it. I think um, Lynch often works best when he's collaborating with people. You know because. He collaborated with Engels on um, Firewalk with yeah. Me. Brilliant, and, brilliant uh, that, job. That was absolutely... <laughs> You're right about him collaborating with Engels. Yeah. They, that, that turns out gold. Uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. I, th- I think I think Mark Frost uh, has a particular knack. Um, he, you know, he has his own kind of like niche weirdnesses, which in many cases complement uh, Lynch's weirdnesses. And together they they can create something which is quite amazing but i think perhaps frost perhaps doesn't have some of the kind of like the plot nuances like i think he's a very broad strokes i think i just think the whole writer and and mm. some of the the kind of like ham-fisted dialogue which i feel comes from frost doesn't quite work you know and i i think it's been written very quickly it's been it's been conceived very quickly and it's been written very quickly and and it, it, it does have that feeling of having been done in quite a rush yeah. you know everything does it, you know and the, the whole the re, you know the whole the whole th- the, the idea that, that that Dougie Jones could span out for all these episodes is and and kind of engages is is you know I, I I really have problems with people who say that they thought that element was great and that you know uh, they're they're, they're going to miss Dougie now. He's gone. I, I don't. I don't believe that's Stockholm syndrome. You know, because in the previous episode, um, Janie E twigged somehow, although I still don't know what the moment when she twigged that he's not Dougie, but she's but he comes back anyway, and she's he is Dougie again, and she's okay with yeah, that. that. I just I I have no idea what is going on in her head. Yeah, it's it's how are we meant to how are we meant to read it basically. How are we meant to yeah. read? the way in which Naomi Watts' character, Jane E, engages with this uh, doppelganger or, you know? Yeah. Because it, it's, it feels, it's, it's yeah. emotionally and psychologically sloppy as fuck, really. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like, you know, you English class at school, you're writing a story and you need, and you want to get it finished in two pages because time's running out. So, and this, ha- and, and the end, and the end, and the end. Um, all this stuff is just getting ended. Mm. And that, and that we, we cut back to Dougie just to end all that subplot. Yeah, it's true. It's, we don't need. We don't need it. It's true it, actually because you, know? you know what you were saying, Jay, about kind of about you know this is the wrong show to come for facts and things tied up with neat bows and stuff. But I mean that's exactly what he's doing there with this with this Dougie Jones thing. And it's yeah, like, I'm always yeah. choking on it, you know. So yeah, because I th- I think like just to yeah. continue what I was saying previously, Mark Frost interests are things like an interest in the occult and i think uh some of the the kind of like more the supernatural elements the way that that is plotted and it's all you know kind of like quite cleverly intertwined Mm. but the the human story that that's above that has been forgotten 
or has been lessened at the expense of all this kind of like of yes, Mark Frost trying yeah, to make yeah. sense of you know how you know the lodges work and and that sort of stuff. I must say I'm surprised and relieved at how little um, blue book slash x filey type stuff was in this series because I expected you know what with all the the pointers yeah, yeah. from like you know even back in the original series with major briggs and stuff it seemed to be all going sort of very um uh, you know dark skies kind of uh, uh, territory and and mm. it, it didn't really go there beyond you know um the fireman and and that obviously yeah. has some sort of celestial connection but yeah, what what it did, I think the way it got around that is all the type of people who are usually involved in, you know, flying saucers, mm. black ops, that kind of thing. So the FBI, um, Air Force generals and majors and all that kind of stuff. There, those those type of stock characters are present, but rather than being involved in some kind of X Files thing, it is more like they've just ha- these those stock people who deal with that kind of thing have happened to stumble across something that is more spiritual. Mm. I mean, they are. It, 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 so it, in genre terms, it kind of still fits, yeah. but really they they kind of all behave more like hippies than yeah, uh, kind of yeah, like new age sort of and, yeah. sort of white middle class uh, art school teachers who've gotten into like um, Tibetan uh, chanting yeah, yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. My next note, is, I can't. I, I, wrote, I wrote recap and can't remember why I did. We have a recap. Yes, yes, yes that's right. It jumps back in time, and we see again. Um, uh, Cooper lose Laura again for some reason. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. I, that was a bit weird. I yeah, I felt then, yeah. because that was the first really time. Weird. Absolutely. In this Absolutely. Where we'd been shown something one episode and then we go back and see <laughs> the same thing again. Obviously not not counting uh, Doctor Ant. I know we have this. I know we have this um, this uh, displaced time element that sort of threaded it throughout. Let's say the latter third of the of the series but still i mean literally taking wholesale and edit copy pasting from one episode to the next it almost feels like they forgot that they had that scene in a previous episode and plonked it in another one it it felt messy mm. as hell i know it's it sort of ends differently but i mean it's literally the same footage and the same cuts <laughs> it's it's odd man really odd so we see that that bit again and i'm wondering whether again this was you know they needed x amount of time in the episode and if it if it wasn't revisiting this then they would have had more driving in silence shots <laughs> <laughs> i did actually think is that it's just uh, on keeping on the on the repeat um repetition um topic the very next scene which is with mike and cooper in the black lodge white lodge um, yeah I, i'm still i'm still unsure about the identity of the lodges um in fact, I'm sort of swinging towards the fact that the Black and the White Lodge look the same, and that this the other place is is you know is another place. I mean, the, also the evolution of the arm was previously called the Man from Another Place, wasn't he? So I don't know. I, I'm still yeah, that's very, right. very, very, um, very blurry on <clears throat> on on how on how the distinct these places are. But um, but anyway, no, Mike and Mike and Dale, the conversation that they had. I just made a note as I was watching it. Is this a repeat from episode one or episode two? This is future or this is past. 
I'm guessing time is looping again. There was something with the conversation that set an alarm bell off in my head that made me think I've seen this scene before very early on in the beginning of the series. Yeah, because uh, he says, uh, is it future or is it past? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Perfect. Because that's what, exactly what I was thinking. Mm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and he's in a kind of weird freeze frame until he starts speaking as well, which is kind of like quite quite bizarre. Yeah, I enjoyed that. You know, I felt yeah, I was, no complaints with any of this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. He says the he says the the does he he says help me now. Does he say? Uh, I think Cooper m- makes reference to Laura, and then he says, "Is that the is that Laura Palmer or the little girl who lived down the lane?" Is that what he says? That was uh, that's the evolution uh, of the arm. Yeah. Who says that um, the the arm repeats what was said previously, but adds uh, the the line about the little girl who lives down the lane. Is it the story of the little girl who lived down the Which is also what Audrey said. Yes, that's right. Whatever kind of like weird state that she was in. Is that the story of the little girl who lived on the lane? Is it? And that's very interesting. Um, mm. And I will come to that later because I've got a, I've got a I've got an idea about that uh, and about what that means. Um, uh-huh. Oh, I, I must mention as well. I must mention not to keep blowing my. Celestial trumpet again. But if you look, you give yourself a bad back mark. I got, I got really, I got really excited. <laughs> it's getting worse, isn't it? But um, when when um, when Cooper's sitting there in the red room, let's uh, let's say that's safe. We'll say the red room. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> in yeah. His uh, in that black uh, prop chair. Um, mm-hmm. Next to him, there is a prop ornament. Um, and it is a glowing green Saturn. Saturn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's that's been there from from the beginning. Yeah, since, it has. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, a recurring a re- recurring prop. Yeah. It it may it you know I've had these sort of Saturn feelings. Oh no, it's also because um, there's the Jupiter and Saturn line, isn't there? In in the original series from from um, from Major Briggs. Jupiter and Saturn meet. They will receive you. Yeah, because when they're aligned, then you can get into the uh, lodge. That's right. Yeah, and I because I wondered that at some point, if those two planets are aligned, then between them would be um, would be the the only um, the only uh, planet or the only um, entity in our solar system that has seas that has fl- flowing seas, which is which is. Um, Titan, Saturn's moon, and it, it, the the seas of methane. But but um, it would fit with this image of the purple sea, you know. And what I don't know what you want to call that space, but the place where the the fireman seems the to move zone. Yeah, that, that's yeah the move zone. Yeah, people on Reddit are calling yeah. it. Um, and it has seas and rocks, not not dissimilar to Earth, but yeah. My gut feeling is that uh, wherever they are, it's not a a planet. 
Yeah. Or or moon floating around in our solar system. Well. But I mean, just eighteen episodes later, you know, sometimes I've said something crazy and you've gone, No, I don't I don't really think so, Mark. And then later I've been, you know, right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Apologies for the interruption. Do not be alarmed. This is Mark, but not Mark as you know him. Mark from 25 years hence. I bring you a footnote from the future. Jason, who now in 2042 lives inside a giant black kettle, he sent me back to right his wrongs of the past. You see, while 2017 Jason is highly skeptical about my half-baked Twin Peaks theories to do with Saturn's moon Titan, I can assure you that the future Jason very much regrets that scepticism. Not only is Saturn's moon Titan very frequently referred to as Earth's twin due to the similarities of its rock formations and seas, the seas are what initially made me think of Titan when we were introduced to the the Mauve Zone, as it's called on Reddit. Sometimes Titan is even called Earth's evil twin on account of the lack of oxygen, icy poisonous cyanide clouds, and the seas are made of, of, of liquid methane. So it would seem to me that not only does Titan, our celestial doppelganger if you like, have a credible interest for Lynch thematically, but also a physical one, because... Um, Dumont is the name of a mountain range on Titan, possibly the largest mountain range. And get this, uh, it's also the name of a twin peak that rises almost a mile high in that mountain range. So you have to admit that's quite a lot of twinning. Um, An evil twin of Earth between Jupiter and Saturn with vast seas, twin peaks and icy poisonous cyanide clouds. How could Lynch and Frost not be into this? It might be something, it might not be, but I do think, why be specific about these visual details? Why show us rocky formations and seas and connect them to space? Why move? And on that, actually, Titan, in fact, can be seen to have what NASA have called a purple haze surrounding the moon. And it's the result of some photochemical reaction in its stratosphere. Anyway, I'm going to leave that on the Formica table. I'm going to go back to 2042 now, and uh, only you, the listener, will know that I've been here. Future Jason will be very, very pleased. Um, so, anyway, carrying on with the plot. Saturn aside. Coop, Saturn aside. Uh, Coop makes his way out of the uh, out of the lodge and I, and I like the little thing that he does with his hand he does like a little hand flutter and the curtains start fluttering oh yeah that's to great show him yeah. the, the way out yeah i thought that was how did he uh, learn that nice... trick where did he get that one from well i mean he's, he's been in there for 25 years well, i suppose sure. he's probably figured a few things out yeah, yeah he's picked up a few a few tricks yeah. here and there and he emerges in glastonbury grove uh where yep. diane is waiting for him presumably this is the curtain call that uh you referenced earlier yeah and they do a little thing where they they kind of like do a little double check are you a doppelganger is um, it really you 
Yeah, is it really you? Um, Which, imagine if, if I was this... a doppelganger, I would just say yes. Yeah, <laughs> but imagine. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah, um, but, but but again, again, imagine if this had been Annie Blackburn. It just it should have been Annie. Have been I Annie. think that that's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I reckon in an earlier yeah, draft definitely. it was. I really think so. Mm-hmm. I yeah. wonder what happened there. Yeah. I'm, I'm itching to know what happened there because there's still I there's still room to chat to Mark Frost and just say, yeah. Was it supposed to be Annie? Yeah. And if if not, what? The thing is, so I can almost see process? it in my head. I can see I can see the scene play mm. out with Heather Graham in it. Because in so many ways, this is an immediate immediate for Fidel Cooper an immediate sequel to the end of season two. And in these final two episodes, especially, this is still part of that same runner. Yeah, yes, 25 years have elapsed in the meantime, but he's still in that same runaround, sorting out that same set of problems. Also, he's out of time, he's out of place, you know. I mean, this, there's, there's, there's nothing to say that, that his experience of time is the same as ours. His experience yeah, of 25 yeah. years could be quite different to, to ours, you know. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. It, but, you know, for that very point, it's kind of Annie. Annie should yeah. still be involved. You know, it's it's it's, it's what what yeah. we were talking about last time, Jay. You were saying that um, um, that it was kind of, or well, maybe it was you, Rob. I can't remember, but but uh, it, that it was very un um, Cooper to to sort of um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I said I said um, having a relationship with Diane. Yeah feels really unprofessional yeah. and not the kind of thing Dale Cooper no, would have but, done. And also, the, mm-hmm. but the way he starts, the way he starts um, dating, shall we say, because that's really what it was. It was very kind of quaint and and sweet and and um, and and sort of gentle. Um, his sort of dating with with Annie, um, kind of chivalrous and yeah, yeah. Um, and and it seems to me like that Cooper would never have been, you know. It, it his, confuses his me when would have, yeah absolutely would have been would have been how's Annie you know yeah it's very uncouth it, to imagine that he would come out of all this and and not give a second thought to her it's very odd and it confuses me when did the Coop Diane thing happen mm, yeah <laughs> yeah just the you know that that yeah I'm I'm at sea there yeah but hey I mean he was very much in love he was very taken with her and and that was a major plot point really about how how deeply in love they were and how. Uh, and and you know how she got sort of taken away from him by by Winda Merle, and that's kind of something that drove the last, you know, the, the last few episodes of the of the second series. And and Coop coming out of Glastonbury Grove feels like, in many ways, the conclusion to him entering the Red Room at that point, back at the end of season two. Yeah. So again, it just feels fitting that it, yeah, that. That's where it should have taken us. It's interesting you say chivalrous, actually, because I, I forgot to mention last week. Um, you know the the road that um, I yeah. forgot to mention that too. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah the road that Dougie Jones lives on is uh, Lancelot Court. And, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and of course, this has a whole kind of Merlin uh, King Arthur connection, along with Glastonbury Grove, along with Glast- yeah. Glastonbury Grove as well. Yeah. Yeah, and as you say, you know, Cooper very is very much that sort of archetypal sort of you know white knight, charming arm, shining armor um, character that will will yeah, go out and, and his way enough, to, um, to help a damsel in distress, you know. Yeah, but it was but it was it was Andy, um, the kind of the, the innocent Galahad figure, who's the one who got to go to the White Lodge, if we're calling it that. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. you know, 
he's yeah. the you know so again there there is definitely an arthurian thing yeah. also that also also that if you if you go back and 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 still consider season two canon which it seems like it seems like frost and lynch are sort of moving away from that but um as as um lancelot did you know cooper stole Windham Earls, his mentor, yes, stole yeah. stole Windham Earls' wife, like um, uh, you know, Guinevere like, and Arthur. Like, like Guinevere, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's so it's it's um, just just simply to say that it's kind of it's 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 weird to abandon all that stuff. Yeah, because obviously the the reason why he's in the lodge for twenty five years is directly as a result of of Windham and Earl. trying to save Annie. So it would have been yeah. nice. Nice to have it kind of like name checked. Exactly. Just in that's all way. I want. Yeah. That's all I want. I guess the second you do that, then it all falls apart, doesn't it? Or, or you know, it demands more. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't get the sense that all of this is deliberate. I feel a lot of it's, um, sort of uh, at a script level, damage limitation. A bit of a salvage job, I think, has gone on. I do think in the woods it was a very beautiful kind of Hollywood, classic Hollywood kind of movie star lighting on Laura Dern, you know, just standing there in the in the trees. Yeah, quite quite often with uh, things like that, I've always got in the back of my mind, where's the light coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this yeah. is this light all coming from the moon? Yeah, same. What's that line? Um, yeah, where's where's the light coming from? Yeah, same place as the music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those two go on a bit of a drive and drive to a motel well there's an important part before that isn't there because because they pass through a certain point you sure you want to do this you don't know what it's going to be like once we i know that we're at that point now i can feel it and cooper goes out to investigate um they, they park the car cooper goes out to investigate and then he he's there's a, some electricity crattle there's there's um there's some pylons nearby and he says yep this is the place this is the place all right i did like this scene though it reminded me of um all those kind of you know sun-drenched noirs like um you know the desert scenes and stuff like kiss me deadly and that kind of thing and i also liked seeing Coop expressing human uncertainty, um, which, I haven't, which we haven't seen much of since his return, and that felt like Dale Cooper. You know, he's a he's a character. You know, he's not the man with the plan anymore. He's kind of on the black foot. He's he's lost, but he's trying. Yeah, I mean, he's got a yeah. plan, but he's not quite sure what's going to happen once he implements it. Um, yeah, he's lost that he's lost that confidence. He says, I mean, he says to her, um, you know, once we cross. Everything could be different, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it seems to suggest that he knows that mm-hmm. whatever's going to happen next might be chaotic, um, and that you know it seems to imply that once they cross this point, um, they might not be who they are now when they get out there. You know, to say, to say you know once we get over there, everything might change, uh, which of course it does. Um, one thing that's worth keeping in mind about all this stuff, though, is that essentially. Um, as far as we know, this is the end of Twin Peaks. These these closing this is the closing movement of Twin Peaks. So everything that happens now is extremely important as to what this whole thing's about. Mm-hmm. And that's just worth keeping at the front of our minds as we discuss this. I think. 
I mean, I think because of the performers and because of the sort of the reverence of it being the final episode, um, there's enough electricity in within this episode that it kind of keeps me engaged, even though I did fall asleep because it was very, very late. But um, <laughs> uh, watching it again. <laughs> um, but, you know, it has enough it has enough in it. And it has enough. It's intriguing enough because because of the, the 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 fact that we have no idea what we're 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 constantly moving forwards. We just don't know what we're moving toward. Um, as an episode by itself, it's it's fine. If as as the final the the final statement on Twin Peaks, it feels like there's a lot of time spent not doing very much. Um, most of it is driving or shagging, driving or shagging. Once they 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 set off during the day and uh, it's night when they um, yeah when they arrive kind of, on the other side when they get through to the other side um, made me think a lot about Lost Highway yeah very much so yeah yeah in fact this sort of psychogenic fugue that happens in Lost Highway is not at all dissimilar to what's happening to uh, Cooper Diane Richard Linda mm-hmm. you know. Um, in this scene, so, and I thought maybe there's maybe there's a Lynch verse. Yeah, and it's probably worth mentioning at this point as well that I thought that that Cooper felt slightly off once he got through the to the other dimension. You know, when they get to the get to the motel, and yeah. uh, Coop goes mm. to get the key, and then Diane sees uh, uh, another doppelganger or version of her looking back at her herself yeah part of me was like oh hello and the, when when diane and cooper go into the room and cooper says no keep the lights off turn off the light and she says what do we do now and he says come over here and it, yeah, and it that's felt, very uncooperish. Yeah, it felt very uncooperish. And as the this latter half of uh, the final episode went on, the more I began to see elements of Mister C. Mister C. Me too. In, yeah. in Coop as well. Yeah. Uh, and we'll that. discuss it when we when we get to it. But when he goes mm. to uh, the diner, I I that could have been Mister C for my money. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, before well, I we guess, get there, I guess, though, I, I guess you could you you could counter that by saying Mr. C was Cooper. You know, mm-hmm. he absolutely was. You know, he was made up of Cooper material. So yeah. Um. And and if if you ask me to come down on one side or the other, I would say this was Coop. Though there, there, there was, but I definitely got the same feeling as you say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it was it was Cooper, but perhaps. The blend, yeah, you know, had the the mix had been slightly changed, mm. and uh, maybe it was just Kyle this was like a, been a bit forgetful. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I th- I think his acting has been too good. Uh, yeah, I think this, so this whole thing, yeah, it's you know, been so I precise. think it's a bit too yeah. too meticulous. We do look, we, I, when I he goes into was... the. Uh... Sorry, no. When he goes into the motel room to book the so into the motel office to book the room, we do lose sight of him. Mm-hmm. We do, we do. Yeah, but we so, also we all, there's also yeah. a jump jump cut after after Diane sees her tulpa or her doppelganger, whatever that might be. Um, 
the action then jumps um, to later, and I think at that point, Diane, I definitely think Diane's been replaced with uh, something else. Once they're, they're in the motel room, they uh, they start having sex, and it's it's a really weird, unsettling kind of kind of sex where looks all right to me. <laughs> I'll take Maybe it. that's how they do it in Denmark. <laughs> well, it's it, it's a very interesting scene because it's it's a woman having sex with a man who is identical to the man who raped her. Mm. Yeah, and so she covers his face. Mm-hmm. Does she cover yeah. his face for that reason, or that was that? That's what I thought. Or was that um, was that a sign, a signal to her identity? The fact that she covers his eyes made me think that that was a reference to the fact that she had been replaced. She was no longer Diane. She'd been replaced by um, whatever entity that was that came out of the Black Lodge that she had taken the form of um, without eyes. I think the fact that she covered Cooper's eyes as she was having sex with him actually was a sign that she was, again... Underneath her skin, she was that that character. Oh, Nado again. Nado, yeah, yeah. You know, because when she was in this, when she was in the other dimension, she was Diane inside the skin of Nado. Here, I think she switches to um, she switches to Nado inside the skin of Diane. And I think the fact that she covers his eyes—that's literally what she's doing. She's covering his eyes. I think that's a sign of of, of the body switch. That's a that's a nod to us, I think. Also, the 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 sex, the way she's having sex, it's almost kind of like ritualistic. It's, it's she's looking sort of heavenward, and it has this almost kind of religious sort of quality to it. You know, she's and the camera is also like God's eye view. It's sort of looking down on her. Um, and Dale's got very a very impassive sex face. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It's, it's almost like she's sort of fucking him into a different, into you know, into this different reality of somehow. I think we've all had sex like that. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the the main takeaway is that this is not kind of romantic, full of love sex. This is something else. You know, there's a, an undercurrent of something going on there, um, and it's quite telling that when he wakes up in the morning, Diane is no longer there but there's a note from Linda to Richard saying that he doesn't, that she doesn't recognise him anymore and uh, that she's off and obviously I think there's an implication here that has Coop now become Richard and has Diane now become Linda What did the fireman tell um, Cooper in episode one about Richard and Linda? He just said, um, Richard and Linda, two birds, one stone, and the numbers. Is that what he said? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think he, there, there was anything beyond that. I did notice also that when, when, uh, when he leaves the motel, it's a, it's a, it's a different one. It's an entirely different building. It's it's a different building. It's gone from a one-story building to a two-story building. The yeah. car is parked in a different place. It's a different car. 
Yeah. So uh, everything, everything has changed. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> when it when he went to the the motel, it had a kind of like a nineteen fifties feel to it, and now this has a kind of like late eighties, early nineties feel to what it. What year is this? Well, exactly. And uh, Coop, I think is is still you know, I I don't think he has assumed the identity internally. Of Richard, he's still Coop. He's, he's a little bit perplexed when he looks back yeah, at, totally. the, at the motel. He's like, uh, "What's going on here?" But he gets yeah. in the car nonetheless, starts driving, and his his eye is caught by a diner called Judy's. So he he pulls in, uh, orders a coffee. Uh, something that I noticed as well that uh, Cooper drank his coffee in a very very perfunctory way. There was none of the the usual Cooper enjoyment yeah. of the of the coffee, which again led me to think, you know, is the 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 Coop Mister C mix, you know, a little bit off. My my note was, you know, Dale Dale Cooper is being weird and distant. Yeah, definitely. But what it means that I I my feeling was that this is Coop, but in a I but in a in new territory. I I didn't get the feeling that when we were no longer with our Cooper. But it's just I thought, well, where's he gone? Into, you know, emotionally, and I, I, I think I feel I felt it was him. I'm not right about that because um, what you're what you're suggesting, Jay, is interesting. But um, yeah, that that it didn't cross my mind. This was anyone else. It was just I was perplexed as to why he was behaving this way. Yeah, another another reason why I think the 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 mix was a bit weird was that when when the waitress is being accosted by the the three cowboy guys uh coop leaps into action as coop would but his reaction to it you know the with the firearms and the shooting the guy in the foot was was pure uh mr c you know it made me think of um the way he shot ray in the uh that's true in yeah the, in the, the foot. foot yeah that's true so yeah so, and you know the way he disposed of you know putting the the guns in the oil and that I sort love of stuff. That. And, he, and he and he was yeah. waving the you know the, the waitress was clearly kind of like terrified, mm. um, you know, and and Cooper felt like a, a little bit menacing. Write the address on a piece of paper. What? Write the address of the other waitress on a piece of paper. Yeah, um, putting her at ease was not in any way a priority of his. He wasn't interested. He was, yeah, he had his goals and was yeah, going to fulfil them. You know, going to achieve them. Although, yeah, although, was, although, although, in in subsequent scenes, he's very much Cooper when he's talking to. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. That that that's what yeah, was kind of throwing yeah. me. It's like I, I I did not think this was Cooper. I was just thinking, why is he being like? Why yeah, is he being like yeah, this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I like I said, I don't, I don't think it's it's not Cooper. I just I just think there's there's kind of like something bubbling under the under the surface there, you know, something mm. that that's a little bit more kind of like troubling and weird. But anyway, his, his mission is that he needs to get the um, the address of the other waitress who he who he feels uh, works at this place for um, some reason. Maybe this is some kind of like Cooper intuition. Uh, that's that's mm. telling him this. Maybe he's got some prior knowledge. I did feel that this was a bit of a leap, but yeah. I mean, we have seen, you know, in the original series, Coop make those kind of like 
those leaps a little bit. Yeah, but usually, usually those leaps that he made then were based on a dream that we'd seen him have, and we'd been mm. we'd been in on in on you know his dreams. We'd see his dreams, and then he'd make decisions based on his own sort of interpretation of those dreams. This is completely without any sort of basis, but it's fine. It's fine. I enjoyed well, watching. Well, damn it, Mark. I mean, Lynch and Frost only had eighteen episodes to bring us to this point. <laughs> he just didn't have didn't the, have the time. time. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of I, I felt that he Dale's been has he been, is this part of his briefing is this that Mike is this is stuff that he knows about from Mike still that again he's just not bothering to share with us because he's still he, he it's like he's he, although the weird stuff's happened to him that he doesn't understand he's still like the man with the plan mm. um, and we're not in on it we're just watching him do stuff um, and I just, you know, I'm you know, at this stage. Just, you know, how much of this is deliberate and how much of this is not? There's no way to tell at all. But anyway, Coop drives out to the address and sees the uh, the weirdly travelling utility pole that has the number six on it, yes. which was seen in, both in Deer Meadow and Twin Peaks previously, and now. In Odessa, it's exactly the exactly the same one um, with the same with the same numbering, the three two four mm-hmm. eight one zero. It's just the same telephone pole or electricity pole or whatever it is. Probably explains why it was uh, in Twin Peaks as well as Deer Meadow. It's the portal it's moving around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just like the uh, convenience store does. Coop gets out of the car, knocks on the door, and lo and behold, it is somebody who looks. Almost exactly like Laura Palmer, only uh, she's called Carrie Page. You see, now this made me think: is has Laura sort of quantum leaped into Carrie Page in the same way that you know that uh, that Cooper jumped into Dougie Jones? Is she a sort of is is Laura Palmer now a sort of female Dougie Jones? Is this is this her sort of fem- her Dougie Jones? Um, odyssey that she's going on is is this is the you know has what what happened to Cooper is this what has now happened to Laura? Well, the impression I got very very briefly is that um, in the previous episode, Coop's mission was really simple: take Laura by the hand and take her back to the yeah. White Lodge from whence she came in episode eight. Period. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Um, then Judy snatches her away, and I feel this is some kind of pocket universe hiding place. Yeah. That Judy has stowed Laura in. Oh yeah, because of course she owns the coffee there as well. Yeah, it's probably worth mentioning uh, a line from from season two from from Wyndham Earl when uh, he he's got uh, Leo trapped and he does this whole big spiel about lodges and stuff. But I, I want to draw your attention to this particular thing uh, when he's talking about the the lodge spirits and he says, "And if harnessed." spirits in this hidden land of unmuffled screams and broken hearts would offer up a power so vast that its bearer might reorder the earth itself to his liking so it kind of like indicates that these lodge spirits have the power to reorder the the earth um and i think that's possibly what's happened here or you you could be you could be right it's it's like a like a little pocket version a little offshoot yeah um i like i like rob's i like rob's um rob's idea that this is a kind of um a sort of a sort of uh, a sort of strange stashing 
place for um, yeah for, for inconvenient goodness. <laughs> I mean, and, and Cooper does warn Diane that when we cross over, we may not be the same. And yes. um, that's that's justification for me. That's justification enough that you know you can go there, but you will you you will change in the going. For me, that's justification enough for the fact that Dale is a different person in terms of his behavior, his emotional demeanor. She seems. I mean, she seems a bit like. I mean, in that sort of um, in the same way that Dougie Jones was, you know, clearly mentally challenged. It seems she she also seems a bit a, a bit slow, um, you know, or maybe it's just that her geography is a bit dodgy. But she says like, "Where's Washington? Will I need a Will I need a jacket? Um, I've got two jackets, you know." Um, I, I don't think she asks where Washington is. She's just clarifying whether it's Washington State or Washington DC. No, no. She asks things. later again. After that, she says, "She says, is it in the north?" Washington, is that like up north? Do I need a coat? Take a coat if you've got one. I've got a couple. I'll grab one. I mean, if that wasn't enough anyway, it's still pretty strange that she has a corpse in her living room that she sort of seems oblivious <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that uh, Agent Coop took the dead body shot in the head in his stride. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. overly phased. I mean, he was like, huh, yeah. interesting. He, he's FBI. That's a problem for local law enforcement, you know. She, she hasn't killed him across, um, you know, a state line. It's fine, you know. I, is, it, is it the case that if you go there, you are different and that Laura has been kind of willfully altered? You know, she does, even she doesn't know who she is. That's, a, you know, that's the best way. How do you hide someone? You, hide, you know, hide them from themselves. I found it interesting um, in the performance that um, Coop was saying, you know, you're... you're uh, mother is Sarah and your father is Leland and she's like mm, don't think so but there was there was something just yeah, in the right. back of her yeah. eyes where there was like <laughs> yes. a distant recognition which yeah. is why she was like do you know what I, I am going to come with you after all uh, and I don't think it's purely 100% the scenario that she's found herself in I think she something inside her kind of like wants to go with, with Coop yeah but I mean, it's such a strange situation because I mean, she's clearly uh, she's in trouble with the with the law. I think for probably multiple reasons. I mean, isn't there there's there's a sort of semi-automatic weapon lying on the living room floor? I noticed. Yes, yeah. It's the kind of Lynch scene I love. It's like at the end of Blue Velvet with the um, the corrupt cop in the yellow suit who um, he's just standing there with a mm. bullet hole in his head mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of that you know and I, I love that and, and she's also she's got that sort of kind of Sarah Palin kind of perky hockey mom type disposition to her as well yeah, yeah. Which, which kind of heightens the strangeness of it all um, but no the little girl down the lane I think this is the little girl down the lane um, Carrie Ka- Car- yes. Page yeah um mm-hmm. um as as referred to several times in the lodge and by Audrey, um, yeah, I, you probably know. I don't know the, the little girl down the lane. It's a 1976 movie um, and a book. Uh, yeah, it's based on a book. Um, also a nursery rhyme. Well, there's that as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, Jodie Foster stars as as this little girl who lives in a house, um, hiding the corpses of her parents. They called her. 
the little girl who lives down the lane. All alone in that big house. Who was she? Um, it's directed by Nicholas Gessner. But it seemed like that was that arrangement with this corpse that, that, that was kind of sitting there it had sort of similarities to to the situation in, in the little girl down the lane mm. um, story. Mm. So I presume, and often you know Lynch likes his sort of references to to movies. So um, and also I don't know if you noticed, but there's the white horse. Um, yeah, yeah. On the mantelpiece. I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's very difficult to miss. Very difficult to miss. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But what <laughs> I liked though was that it did it did provide for Coop uh, that little extra mm. confirmation. Uh, he noticed it. Yeah, and that was that was significant. There was something about this whole setup as well that made me think about the girl in the earlier episodes, the the one one nine girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This this really did feel though like Dale Cooper has wandered into Lost Highway. <laughs> yeah, that that's quite good because that seeks into um, on the road. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It does. The the long long driving shots where. Where Carrie is kind of like mumbling and falling asleep. How dare sir. I tried to keep a clean house. Keep everything organized. There's no way. I mean, I suppose it's I suppose it's worth it's worth noting that I mean, you know, if Audrey mentions the little the little um, the little girl down the lane, that more also more firmly puts her in 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 the bracket of being connected to the the Black Lodge world. Yeah, especially with the electrical sounds when when she looks at herself in the in the mirror as well. But um, in this night driving sequence, which I really, I, I did, in, although I kind of thought, wow, this is taking up a lot of time considering this is the final episode. I guess it, all, it, it must all mean something. I did love the headlamps and the and the way it was shot and the suspense of those headlamps following them. Because mm. I was saying, are they are they headlamps? Are they Judy's eyes? <laughs> what the hell are they? You know, I, I did think that they were incredibly still. That's what that's what was freaking me out. They were unnaturally still. I thought, oh, God, what if they're not headlamps? Oh, fuck! I think that's just because they? that they've yeah. been. I just think that's just this. That stuff had been shot in a studio, and it was sort of criminally obvious to me. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if you either of you've done a shoot like that. I've, I've done several, yeah. you know, and it's like mm-hmm. normally you would attach the. I think I did it once where I attached the lamps to a um, a shopping trolley, and you so you sort of move the shopping trolley a bit, so you get a sense that something's moving, and then maybe have a couple mm. of people on the on the prop car just sort of giving it a gentle bump, you know, just to feel like you know the thing's actually moving. But there was none of that, no effort with that at all. It was uh, everything was completely uh, still. It was uh, so for me, it was really obvious that they shot it in a studio and and kind of. Seem to be a lack of effort to kind of disguise that. Oh, I, I will say, and this is the one thing about how people can watch something completely differently. The stillness of those headlamps was terrifying me because I was thinking, because I was thinking, because I, 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 at that point I was, I was, in, I was invested in this, and I was thinking, this, this, all this stuff does feel pretty damn intentional. 
and those headlamps I thought oh fuck those aren't headlamps are they they're going to be something they're going to be something horrible I wish I could have watched it through yeah. your eyes instead yeah yeah it was freaking me out it was freaking me out I actually enjoyed that I was I was somewhere but I was somewhere between the two of you in that I was like huh this feels like it's shot on a stage but at the same time the underlying creepiness of it was was kind of like coming through so I was I was literally in the middle I mean, ultimately, it did go nowhere, but I enjoyed the journey yeah. <laughs> to nowhere. I mean, I yeah. think it, it spoke to the paranoia of both Coop and Carrie, in that Carrie is worried about, you know, this is some holdover from, from Odessa, and maybe Coop, you know, because his eyes were flicking to the, to the rearview mirror as well. He was like, is this trouble... You know, from Odessa, or is or is this some kind of like weird supernatural thing that's following me? Yeah, I th- all all of those things were running through my through my head. So I di- I did like the uh, the tension of it, although it it did kind of melt away. Yeah, I mean the very fact that you know the coffee places eat at Judy's. It's like this whole place this whole place is a if I was thinking this whole place is a construct mm. of Judy's, and she's not going to take kindly to Dale having found Laura. Yeah. And that's that's where my mind was. So I was kind of um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's 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 it pretty much. That's you know. So we can. It's, it's sort of heartbreakingly sweet, isn't it? That he wants yeah. to take her back to her mum. Oh, it's just like mm. it's just something touching and sort of futile about that somehow. There there is, but it's not his original mission, and that kind of made me that gave me pause. It's like oh, has Dale changed his mind about precisely mm. what he's True. trying to do True, here? Yeah. Mm. Then again, I suppose he'd he'd saved her, hadn't he? By the by that point, she no longer was her, her She was no longer murdered mm. by that point. Time has changed, right? Let's say let's say this is out. Let's say where they are now is outside of normal space and time. In normal space and time, has the murder of Laura Palmer been negated or circumvented? Now, how we how how are we supposed to read it? Well, we we saw her corpse disappear, didn't we? So I think I think at least at least the events as we know them, they they have been changed. I think. Yes. Yeah. We just we just don't know how the future. Yeah. But I think we are lost in time, so we don't know what the new order of things are. But we do know that the previous order has been. Overwritten. I will say one thing that if Judy wanted to hide Laura Palmer in this alternate reality, then she really shouldn't employ her in a coffee shop called Judy's. She, she should have called it Sam's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dave's or something like that. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that those those headlights melt away, and uh, they start travelling through. Twin Peaks. They go over the uh, the railway bridge. Well, there's a stop and, there, isn't there? There's a stop in uh, in the gas station. Yeah, with uh, with modern petrol prices. Ah, okay. From from that gas stop, they travel into Twin Peaks, and they they go over the the infamous railway bridge and drive past the Double R Diner, and there was a, a subtle. A subtle difference between uh, the Double R Diner from last we saw it, and I'm not sure whether this is a production mistake or whether this is intentional. But the last time that we saw the Double R Diner, it had written along the side of the building "RR to go" and a big line, a big arrow, 
and in this version of the Double R Diner, that is missing. Is it is it like the um, the Twin Pines Mall becoming the Lone Pines Mall in Back to the Future? Back to the Future. Uh, well, I I don't know. It's it's a subtle thing. Uh, so, like I said, I'm not sure whether it's a production mistake, whether this is like a pickup shot or something. Thing is, then, um, with this kind of with this kind of uh, story, you can now we can now make excuses for it, I'm, and I'm fine with that because you know things have yeah. We've yeah. de- we've definitely entered kind of the twilight zone. Um, yeah, we're not in Kansas anymore. You can drop. You can, we can just drop. We can drop a fuck ton of stuff in here. Anyway, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're yeah. It, that, that, that's all fine. I like. I enjoy those little differences. They end up at um, oh, the Palmer residence. Last stop, gentlemen. Yeah, and this was this was my favorite favorite scene out of uh, the whole thing because it was it was unsettling, but but so subtle and so just creeping. This weird undercurrent of just horror to it. I I really loved it. It made my Jason skin are crawl. You, are you wearing trousers right now? No, I am not. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> So Coop and Carrie go up to their front door and knock on the door. And I think Coop is fully expecting to see Sarah Palmer answer the door. And uh, instead, it's somebody different. Yes. FBI. I'm Special Agent Dale Cooper. Is Sarah Palmer here? Who? Sarah Palmer. No, there's no one here by that name. And as a little aside here, the the per, the actress who is delivering the lines is actually the owner of the house in real life. She's very good. She's yeah. really good. Yeah. I'm not sure how how meta we're supposed to interpret that. I just thought she was really naturalistic, so um, yeah. that's, that's surprising. Yeah, so I don't know whether she's an actress in real life or um, Lynch just got, got lucky, but mm. she is the, the actual owner of um, the location. Um, yeah, chill, chilling. It reminded me um, reminded me very much that's, of that scene in Fire Walk With Me. In fact, instantly I got Harry Dean Stanton's voice in my head saying, um, come to think of it, uh, Chalfant was the name of the person who owned it before that, you know. Um, uh, two Chalfonts. Two, two Chalfonts, huh. Um, and also, it made me think about the original series as well, where the same thing happened to Donna, who was doing the meals. She was doing Laura's meal, Meals on Wheels um, round at the time, and she met the Tremonts or the Chalfonts, uh, the grandmother and the, and the, and the grandson, um, who presumably is now the jumping man? Um, when she, and when she went looking for them again, I can't remember which way around it was. I think they were called Tremond then. And then when she went again, they the, the, the there was somebody very similar to this lady who answers the door here, saying, uh, "No, no, uh, we're uh, there's nobody here of that name. We're the Chalfonts, or vice versa." But it's it's very interesting that um, the Tremonds and the the Chalfonts are now passing this this property between them yes of course because she says she says she is called uh, uh tremond right yeah yeah, yeah. and they bought yeah. it from the chalfonts 
Yeah. Oh, I want to know what's going on with all that. Ch- yeah. Tremont's and Chalfont's business. Yeah. Uh, and I, I liked the way that we never see the, the husband or the, or, the, or the male guy. He's just off screen. She just kind yeah. of like turns her head behind the door and yeah i like asks, the way she does that yeah ask the question that felt really kind of real though didn't it as well let's see you know, like- exactly yeah it felt very naturalistic yeah. yeah yeah it felt real but also creepy at the same time you know you just yeah, hear this yeah. murmuring voice you know it could be anybody you know is it oh i don't know gave me chills i, I also loved um cooper's sinking feeling yeah, this was unraveling. Yeah, that was much, like yeah. yeah, thought yeah, yeah. yeah this this is uh, when he stops actually. When when he, when when they walk back across the road, and they're going back to the car, and then he thinks, no, hang on, and he stops and he turns around, and he looks at the house, and then a thought occurs to him that totally breaks him, and his mm. his posture changes. And yeah, it becomes almost doggy like. Yeah, it's, it's it's a brilliantly wordless moment, but he, it's um it expresses perfectly what he's feeling and it's really, mm. really sad. Um, yeah. And that's just before he says... What year is this? Very, very faintly, you hear um, Sarah Palmer go, Laura! And then yeah. Carrie Page screams. And yeah. all the lights start flashing and then go boom, goes out. In recognition, perhaps. Um, maybe maybe that's her trigger in the same way that, that, that Dougie Jones had his uh, Gordon Cole moment. But uh, I, th- I think, you know, Cooper's sort of returned her to her to her inescapable fate, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When we hear Sarah's voice, um, it's actually Sarah's voice from the very beginning of Twin Peaks, the very, very first moments of Twin it Peaks. It does sound like that, doesn't it? It is, yeah. In, mm. in the pilot, when she's looking up at the at the la- at the fan going around, the Laura, um, and you know, it sort of it's sort of further concretes that idea that we're dealing in infinite loops, um, and that. In the end of this episode, Cooper has returned her to the beginning of the first episode. Uh, so it's so again. So I, again, I think it pertains to that number eight. Yeah. And if the events of this of this series, this return, happened, then then it, it erases the events of the of the first two. But if they did, then this dimension, this new dimension, couldn't exist either. So. I know it's it's one of those time travel paradox things where yeah. you know in order for these events to be happening, the previous events had to have happened because if they didn't happen, yeah, these events can't be happening. So, yeah. yeah. But when the credits, you know, you know, starring Cal McLachlan came up, I, <laughs> in my eyes were just like, what? Oh, not me. I was fully expecting this. I was fully expecting a, a kind of cliffhanger. Well, I did ask last week, will this end on a maddening cliffhanger? And it, and it has. In a way, though, I think that I think I think it's important to sort of differentiate between the cliffhanger that we were left with at the end of season two and this one. I think they're fundamentally oh, yeah. different. Um, I think yes, that, yeah. I think that when Twin Peaks ended all those years ago, um, uh, with a cliffhanger. Um, I think the difference is is that while that one screamed with a kind of deafening sort of urgency that to, you know that it needed it needed to be concluded continued on, 
Um, I think with this one, we had a sort of vision in episode 17 of, of what a resolution for this story might look like. But then it was sort of taken away from us. So we can imagine that version if, if that's what we want. But I think the point of this episode 18 is to show us how Laura Palmer is that classic uh, Lynch or classic noir archetype, you know, the woman in trouble, um, which is the tagline, I think, to Inland Empire. Um, um, and she will be um, ad infinitum, you know, it's perpetually so. She will be the woman in trouble and Cooper will be that evergreen boy scout that will cross oceans of time to help a woman, you know, help the dams- damsel in distress or the woman in trouble. And, you know, like he did with the woman in um, Judy's, you know, the waitress in Judy's coffee place. Because that's mm. who he is. And that's, and, and, and this is who Laura is, you know, and the pair of them will continue on like this in, on an, in an infinite loop. Um, and, and it, you know, he will continue trying to save what is essentially unsavable forever. And so I think this episode 18, the, this finale, um, Lynch showed us how showed us how the story ends and then he showed it how, how it would continue and continue to end if it were to be told again and again and again. So, you know, that, the How's Annie cliffhanger begs for completion or, you know, to be clo- closure. Um, but this hanger was sort of showing us that, that closure is impossible. And that the loop continues indefinitely. That's why, that's why I'm I'm pretty doubtful that, um, that that there'll be a fourth season. Yeah, I don't think there'll be a fourth season either. I could see there perhaps being a Fire Walk with Me style film, perhaps, but not know. not a yeah. not a not a fourth season of. of I think weeks. I think this I think this is his full stop, and in typical Lynch fashion, it's a. It's a kind of it's an, it's an infinity full stop. It's a full stop that just that that keeps on um, stopping. But but it's it's his final statement, I think. That's it for this episode of the Four Mica Table podcast. We battled time and broken hard drives to bring you this episode, so thank you for your patience. But we're not done. At some point in the not-too-distant future, we'll be turning our attention to David Lynch's space epic Dune and sharing our thoughts, opinions and theories. Until then, let's rock.